Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, Mercy family. Man, it's good to see you guys. So good to see you guys. Um, I want to thank so many of you who are praying for our family and um, feeding our family over the past couple of weeks. Um, Super grateful and Glad to be back with you. Uh, If you are, I do want to say a special welcome to our college students. I know this weekend a lot of our college students are back. We are a better church with y'all here. Uh, We love you and are so thankful for you. And uh, if you don't know anyone who's a part of our college staff or our college ministry here yet, um, here at our Providence Road campus, uh, right after service, Pastor Scott Urbanic will be right down front, uh, works with our college ministry, and be happy to kind of help you connect to the lay of the land here, all right? Uh, With that said, we got some work to do. I am, oh, I'm excited. Let's jump into this thing. Um, Acts chapter 22, if you've got your Bible, and as you're getting there, I want to tell you, years ago, uh, I had the chance to travel to Afghanistan. It was in the late 2000s, and there was this peacetime window that had opened up, and so we took a team who was going to move there, to, and we we're looking for like church planting opportunities to help advance the gospel there. And it was a wild experience to go to, because this was after uh, decades of war. And so the, it was just a strange place. We'd be driving around the capital city, and you'd see these little like Toyota pickup trucks with a swivel chair, just swiveling empty in the back, because a few years ago, those had been used as like gun turrets for street warfare. But now, uh, when I was there, it was just like a farmer driving his stuff into town. You know what I mean? This chair just swiveling, or we're on our way out of town, and we see this Soviet tank just broken down on the side of the road, and it was the gun, the cannon barrels just being used to dry clothes on, right? Just hanging over. It's the strangest, the beautiful country, strangest experience, um, I, one of the strangest experiences I've ever had. And, you know, we sent a team in, and we saw the gospel start to to flourish there through that team and churches planted and people come to faith. And I thought about those churches and those believers this week. Um, You know, they already had it really hard because if you became a Christian in that particular area, most likely your family's going to disown you as a result of that. Now with the Taliban taking over, what we're hearing out of there is most likely they they will be sought after, imprisoned, or killed for professing their faith. And I thought about the message we're in today, our last message in our Acts series, and the Apostle Paul is in prison for preaching that same gospel that he once persecuted. And I realize how much more sense this book must make to our Afghan brothers and sisters than it does to us. Time and time again, the book of Acts demonstrates that if you, pe- if you preach the gospel, the people that you grew up with are going to try to imprison you and kill you for that faith. And yet, these first century Christians we'll see today do it 
And so do our Afghan brothers and sisters. But that, the reason is, y'all, and what I want to get at today, the reason why they would risk their lives so joyfully and willingly for the proclamation of the gospel is because there's something transcendent about Jesus. Something about Jesus. When I say that, what I mean is he lifts the eyes of your heart. This is Bible language. Talk about like that deep core part of your soul. The eyes of your heart. He lifts it just off of the everyday, lifts it up to a place of eternity, and you see the glory and splendor of Jesus, and it gives you a, a powerful hope to live in the here and now. And in light of that, y'all, prison chains cannot compete with that. We can endure the chains. We can endure the stones. We can endure the blade because to live is Christ and to die is gain. So today in our last sermon in the You Are Sent series, My call to you is pretty simple and straightforward, but what I hope that we walk out of here today with is just live for Christ. Live for Christ. By that, I mean that each one of us elevates Christ to the top priority in our lives and not in the cultural Christian tip your hat to Jesus first before you go on and live your life kind of way. Now, I'm talking live for Christ means I'm going to approach the rest of Sunday and then Monday asking, what would Christ have me do with my day today? I want to move from cliche Christian motto into a decision-making grid, live for Christ, to a courage-giving force in your life, live for Christ. I want to show you why and how the Apostle Paul tries to live for Christ. I want to invite you into a life not lived for yourself, but for Christ. And so we're going to go to Paul's testimony in Acts 22. And I'll show you a little bit. I'll talk a little bit about what he encounters after that. But Acts 22 is where we're going to, we're going to make that our home. So we're going to start in verse 1. We'll get, to, get down to verse 22. You guys ready? Yeah. Yes, me too. I mean, I'm really ready. Like I preached one time in the last like eight weeks. I'm very ready. All right, let's go. Um, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. Now, <laughs> they're all a little bit surprised by what's going on here. I'll pause for a second. And if you go back to um, the verses right before this, they think that what they're realizing is they got the wrong guy a little bit. The guy who the centurion who's got him is like, wait a minute, Paul, aren't you the Egyptian that led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? And Paul's like, what? You know, you might as well just said, aren't you that circus panda that we saw? He's like, what are you talking about, man? I'm from Harrisburg. Or, you know, he says, I'm Paul. I'm from Tarsus, just right down the road. No. And then he, now he's addressing them in their native tongue, and he continues, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city right here, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. According to the strictness of our ancestral law, I was zealous For God, just like all you are today, I persecuted this way. You're going to see him say the way a couple of times. That's Christianity that he's talking about. I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail. As both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. And after I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. All right, we actually saw this story in action back in Acts chapter 9, but that was like a year ago that we went through it as a church. So what's happened between then and here in Acts 22 is Paul's had some time to process what God did in his life. And now he's looking back on it. 
He's got some space and time. He's begun to understand a little of what God was up to when God saved him. What he's doing here is saying, I am one of you. I'm one of you. In fact, you go over to Galatians 1. Paul says, you've heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church. I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries. That's like a little bit of a brag that I'm not sure why I feel I need to put in there, right? I was smarter than some of you guys. I was a who's who because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. What he's doing is he's connecting both there and here in Acts. He's connecting with his people. I'm not an outsider. I'm one of you. And he is one of them ethnically. He's Jewish, and here he is in front of an angry group of Jews. He's one of them, and yet... He's not one of them. He is one of them, and yet he's not one of them. He used to find his primary identity in his ethnicity and in rising through the ranks of Judaism. But now, while he still retains his ethnicity, he's found his identity in something better. He's found Jesus. And the traditions of his ancestors can't compete with Jesus. They are weak when compared to Christ. Paul is saying that way of life is his former way of life. And y'all, that's the reality I want to pause and sit down on for just a second. For anyone that has really found Jesus, they have a former life that used to be their everything, but it's not anymore. Living for Christ, it means humbly recognizing the past that Christ has saved you from. Paul's saying there was a time when he was exactly like them where he would have been leading the mob. After all, he was the one who sat there overseeing the stoning of Stephen, as he's going to say in a minute. And now he's grieved by that. Listen, he's not gloating about his past. The way some Christians talk about their past sin, it's like they salivate over it and wish they could go back to it. Y'all, yes, sin is temporarily pleasurable. But Christian, if you think of your sin and you revel in the memory of it, I implore you, go back to Hebrews 12. Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. Lift your eyes back onto him because he really is better. And Paul's acknowledging he had a former life, but he's found something better. He's saying, I was that way, but something happened to me. But you got to understand, y'all, something happened to him. That's what happens to every single Christian. Nobody is a Christian because they were born to Christian parents. All right, you're not just born into this faith. Nobody's a Christian because they grew up going to church. Nobody's a Christian because of their morality. Every single Christian was once not a Christian. All right? We we all have a past where we were living for ourselves. This is why the gospel says all, not some of those people, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the apostle Paul's words over in Romans. Every Christian is just as sinful as their non-Christian neighbor, their classmate, their friend. Look, I know some of y'all are here today. Some of you are watching online today because a Christian friend invited you into this. You probably, I, just to encourage you, you've got a ton in common with that friend. You've got hopes. You've got fears. You've got habits. You've got dreams for a future. You've got your favorite pizza. you got your favorite Taylor Swift song, right, which we all know is Exile featuring Bon Iver, okay? We know which one it is, but we all have that, right? You got a lot in common. You got a lot in common. I need you to know Christians are still humans, but there's also a deep divide. They're like you and yet completely different. 
And it's because Jesus interrupted their lives and showed them they had been living a life apart from God. And those fears, those dreams, those hopes for purpose and significance, God burst on the, on the scene and showed us an answer for it all. Those secret sins nobody else knew about. God showed us a way of salvation from those. The public sins that everybody knew about. God showed us a way of salvation from those. Every Christian has a past, y'all. And what God often does is he drops, you know this, it's some of you sitting in this room because this was you. God dropped into your friend group and saved you. And you found salvation in Christ. But then he puts you right back into that friend group and says, go tell them what I've done for you. Go tell them. That's how awakenings start. I was just like you and then God saved me from myself. And he can do the same for you. Every Christian has a past. This is where some of you, I believe, actually, I believe this is where Mercy Church will have its greatest ministry here in our city. It's this idea right here. Some of you think that because you sinned with that friend group, you can no longer associate, talk to that friend group now that you're a Christian. And you might be alienating yourself from the very people that God is sending you to. So you could say, I've been there. I've been there and I've found something better. I've been there, I've been there, and I've found something better. you got coworkers, neighbors, friends, family members. The Lord has saved you and sent you right there to say, I've been there, and I've found something better. You know, this is next year we're sending our um, outgoing student director, who's now a church planting resident, Alan, who was just up here on our stage. Alan's going back home to Nairobi, Kenya, to plant a church. You know why? It's because of this right here. There's people, but something has changed in Alan. He's the same, but different. He's got a message of hope from God for his people that starts with, I've been there, I know you. And y'all, each one of us has that message. I believe God has people to save through you. This is why we ask you to write down who's your one, one person far from God, but close to you. So that you can walk over to them because they're close to you. Say, I've been there. Let me tell you what God did in my life. Let's keep going. I'm going to read you verses 6 through 16. Paul says, here's what happened. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus, remember he was on the road on the way there, about noon an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So I said, what should I do, Lord? The Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus. There you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Well, since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there. You remember, Paul's like under interrogation. This is a little courtroom situation here. He's like, I just want you to know, this guy Ananias, you would approve of him. All right, he knew the law and everything. Good reputation with all the Jews living there. He came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and I saw him. And he said, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one. That's Jesus. And to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling 
on his name. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're reading this, at this point you're thinking, well, yeah, I, that'd be really nice. I'd become a Christian too if Jesus would just come down on Providence Road on my way home, stop everything, and tell me what to do. All right, I, I get that, okay? If, if you're in some version of, of that headspace, because I've definitely felt that before, let me offer you a couple of things to consider. First, even though Jesus did appear to Paul, he didn't explain anything to him. You catch, he didn't call him to repentance or anything. Instead, he sent Paul to a fellow Jew who would explain the gospel to him, Ananias. And Ananias explains everything to him. So even in this extreme encounter, God still operates according to his plan, which is that people share the gospel with people. Even Jesus, even Jesus chose not to share his own good news to Paul, but sent him to a person to share his good news. So if you are waiting for God to come down in a bright light and appear to you, he's just going to send you to a Christian anyway. So why not just listen to the gospel message from the Christian he's already sent you? Secondly, over in 2 Peter chapter 1, is verse 19, Peter says, look, I was up on the mountain. I heard the voice of God with James and John. Cool moment and everything. But... The scriptures are a more sure word than that experience. The scriptures are the most sure word we have. So if if you've got Christians in your life, you've got access to the Bible, which you do, and if you don't own one, we have them right out in the lobby, and you can pick one up when you leave today. If you've got those two things, and they're telling you the same thing, you have the most sure word from the Lord that you could have. And the word says, God loves you. He made you. He loves you. And he wants you. He created you. That, that's why you think about eternal things. Because he created you in his image. It's why you ask questions of purpose. Because he is a God of purpose who created you in his image. It's why you experience awe and wonder from time to time. Because he is an awe-inspiring being. He created you to experience that awe and wonder. You were made by an eternal God. He imprinted his character on you, and he says, I love you, and I want to share that love. The love that I experience in the Trinity itself, I want to share that love with you. But the word says, your sin, which is everything you've done or thought that was not submitted to God, your sin has separated you from God. The apostle Paul wrote in this letter to the Romans that he wrote about two chapters Before, timeline-wise, about Acts 20, where he was, he wrote, he wrote that the wages of that sin, that rebellion against God, the wages of it is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus died your death so that you get life, and not just new life here, but you do get new life here. You also have life eternal with Christ. So Ananias told Paul, turn from your sin. Receive by faith, which is huge for Paul, who spent his whole life justifying who he is because of how good he was at obeying the law. Ananias didn't come with a new law in the sense of here's your list of things to do. No, he comes and he says, just receive by faith what Christ has done for you. And there you find forgiveness and be baptized. And so Paul did. Listen, to live for Christ, for those of you that are newer to the Christian faith or 
Um, whether you're a new Christian or you just haven't taken the step or you're considering Christianity. To live for Christ means responding to the gospel. That's this good news that while you were created, God loves you, you sinned, Christ came to save you from your sin. You respond with repentance, turning away from your sin, faith, receiving what Christ did for you, and baptism. I'm talking to you who have never believed. I want to encourage you to respond to the gospel like Paul did. Receive it, repent and believe. That's it. And then the public response in every account in Scripture, the public response of one who believes the gospel is to be baptized. Are right, you think of Acts 2, Peter preaches the gospel at Pentecost. Everybody's listening, and some of them respond and say, okay, what do we got to do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Acts 8, Ethiopian official believes, and then he's baptized. Well, can I get baptized? There's some water right there. Yes, baptized immediately following belief. Mark 1, this is the example Jesus gave. Baptized right into the river. Colossians 2, Romans 6, teach that baptism is this symbolic burial where you are symbolizing that you are joining with Christ in his death. That's why we take you under the water and then we lift you up out of the water, symbolizing your identity with Christ who came up out of the grave. Acts 16, Lydia is baptized after she believes. Same thing happens in Matthew 3, John 4, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 18. So I want to encourage you to follow Christ's model, follow the instruction of his word, and be baptized. Some of you, that's your step coming out of here. We one of our core values at our church is we help people take their next step in following Jesus. And that's your step. We're going to get, do baptisms in two weeks right here. And you need to come down and tell me right after service today. We'll talk it through. And in two weeks, you need to get baptized. Verse 17. After I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw him, there's Jesus again, telling me, hurry, get out of Jerusalem quickly. Because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now remember, he's, he's back now in Jerusalem telling about what happened to him then. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. When the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. And he said to me, go. Because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, to me, this is what makes Paul's story so, such a helpful uh, story for all of us. He had experience going to his own people. That's what we're seeing today. He's in chains under accusation by his own people. But the Lord also put a calling on his life to people completely different from him called Gentiles, non-Jews. The people that the Jewish people didn't think were worth anything. The defiled, dirty scourge of the earth. God told Paul, I made them, I love them, and I want them. So go, go preach my good news to them. And brothers and sisters, I promise you, God's heart for the peoples of the world has not changed. Not at all. He made us. He loves us. He wants us. And I say us because I belong to, and I would imagine the vast majority of people that are here at Mercy Church belong to a Gentile ethnic group. Like my ancestors are Scots-Irish. We are thousands of miles from being Jewish. And I love studying about the gospel, traveling to Scotland, because it's the story of God's pursuit of my ancestors, my people, and eventually his pursuit of me. And just like God sent Paul to the Gentiles across the Mediterranean, like he sent St. Patrick to my ancestors, like he sent many here to the Americas, so he's still sending people, his people, to the far corners of the earth to announce the good news of the gospel. And I think every last one of us has a part to play in that. Listen, living for Christ... It means looking for your part in God's global mission. 
looking for your part. I don't know what role, what role you will play, but I know people are God's plan A for sending the gospel to other people all across the world. I know right now we got a partner in a certain region of South Asia that, listen, this little region is so densely populated that if you were to take that region out and make it its own country, it would be the fifth most populated country on the planet. There are 40 Christians working right now to reach that, that people group with the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. They've seen hundreds reached in the past year, but the workers are few. And I believe the Lord is preparing some of you to go join that work. Because that's what God does. We get swept up in God's love for us. We start to see other things all through that perspective. We want others to know about it. We're not so stuck to our plans like we once were. The American dream just isn't that dreamy anymore. It's a set of weak chains just trying to tie me and my family to a bunch of stuff for a few generations. Not when I've got a vision of heaven with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Give me that dream. I want that dream. Let me be a part of building that kingdom. I don't need treasure, y'all. Listen to me because this is one of the, the biggest hurdles to, I believe, the church, specifically in our city, but probably across the West. The biggest hurdles to us getting on God's mission and being used by God in the ways that he has gifted and wired us and called us. I don't need treasure that's going to get rusty. Y'all think about how fortunate I am to live in a house. All right, I don't take that for granted. Got a nice little yard. And I have to do so much maintenance on this stuff. So, especially right now. Y'all, I have been in a four-year battle against weeds in my yard, okay? Trying to turn it into grass. I'd document it. And for the most part, it's like the, you know, if you saw my journal, it would be like some losing general. It was really sad because it's just a battle with grass and the weeds are winning. You know what I mean? Like, I got to do maintenance on the grass. I got to make sure the AC unit has maintenance. I got to get a bug guy. I got to get a plumber. I got an electrician, a roofer, because the house needs maintenance. What weak treasure my stuff is. It's so weak it needs upkeep. That's not treasure. Y'all, I'm not saying stuff is bad. I'm not. The Lord blesses us with it, and I believe we should enjoy it. What I'm saying is, am I going to make that stuff my heart's desire? If your treasure requires maintenance, it is lying to you. It's telling you, I'm going to make you happy and fulfilled as a person. But it's not. (laughs) It's going to make you anxious Tired, broke. Listen, these different things that we give our lives to. Leisure. Leisure is a terrible treasure. It's great to rest. Rest is good. God actually commands it. But he says that rest is to be found in him. Working hard just so to meet your end goal of laying around and sometimes laying around in a little bit more comfortable place than you normally lay around in, that's going to corrode you from the inside out if that's your treasure. Stuff is a terrible treasure. Listen to me. Some of y'all are going to be like, "Uh uh-uh. Your family is actually a terrible treasure. Go ahead. I'll prove it to you. Why don't you just put all your hopes and dreams into your kids? Why don't you watch what happens to them? They are a gift. They are worthy of all the sweat and toil that you put in. But they cannot be your source of happiness. They cannot be your heart's desire. They cannot be your treasure. Don't waste your heart on weak treasure. Now I want something better, something that will never fade. That's what God offers. Jesus says, Matthew 6, don't store up treasure here. Store it up in heaven 
where no thief can steal, no rust can destroy. That treasure, what's amazing to me, when he's talking about treasure, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, I can have it for free. And I can give it to the whole world. I want to be a part of God's mission to get that treasure to as many people as I can. Because it's better. It's just better, y'all. Christ is better. Don't waste your life on rusting, fading, moth-attracting stuff. Instead, look for what God is doing. There's something fascinating as you read the rest of Paul's journey. Like the rest of the book of Acts is basically Paul being a prisoner and going from one spot to the next. Um, And he's trying to get to Rome to appear before Caesar, which Paul sees, by the way, as he's in chains and having to go. He sees these chains as an asset. It's a way to go preach the gospel to Rome. These weak chains are a free ticket to preach the gospel where it isn't known, or so he thinks. Because it's, it's almost comical after a long journey. I'll tell you more in a second. Paul finally starts to get close to Rome. And look what it says. I'm going to jump over to Acts 28, verse 13. I want you to notice the setting, what happens here. After one day, a south wind sprang up. And the second day, we came to Petoli. There we found, remember, he's trying to get to where the gospel has never been preached. There we found brothers and sisters. And were invited to stay a week with them. And so we came to Rome, and then the brothers and sisters from there heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the forum of Apius and the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. (laughs) Paul thought he was going to preach the gospel where it had never been heard before. And when he finally lands, he's greeted by Christians. They're already there. This happened all the time in his journey, and here's why. As these everyday people in Jerusalem found the gospel, they found Christ. These everyday people with jobs and families, they they started becoming Christians, and then they took the gospel with them as they went. They didn't need to quit their job and become full-time missionaries. They recognized God had already made them missionaries, and their jobs were the vehicle by which they could take the gospel to the far ends of the earth. Listen, when you came in here today, for those of you in here, I know if you're online, you didn't get this, but when you came in here, there was this uh, card sitting on your seat. Maybe you're still sitting on it currently. It'll be warm when you pull it out now. But I want you to take that out. This is talking about how we as a church are trying to help. It's called our Mercy Church Missions Pipeline. Basically, how to help you figure out what your role in God's mission might be. I want to encourage you to come to your, one of the first things you'll see here is the Mission of God class. Y'all, this is just coming and hearing about what God is doing. I'll be teaching one of the sessions of that along with several of the other pastors. And I just want you to hear about God's heart for the nations and what role you might be able to play in it. I want to walk with you through that as we try and figure it out together. Because I believe the gospel is going to go further faster when we all ask the question, what's my part? What's my part in God's mission? I know, I know plenty of people uh, during just my time in ministry, plenty of people that have um, gone to their multinational corporation that they work for and said, hey, do we have an office in, insert, unreached people group country, and could I transfer there? And most companies are so shocked you'd want to go, they'll pay you more to do it. So let me just say it this way. I think my call to you is to do what you do to the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. And take that and pray through it and see what the Lord would have you do and come to this class where we can talk through it together. That's why you need that class. Maybe you've always thought you'd have to quit your job to be a part of God's global mission. That's crazy. Don't quit your job. Go with your job. At least come hear what it might look like. 
Let me finish up with verse 22 from Paul's testimony. He actually finished in verse 21, but then as soon as he said something about those Gentiles, they listened to him up to this point, but then they raised their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. How would you like that? You thought you share your testimony with some people, you know? That was a tough response. He should not be allowed to live. His own people want to kill him. Why? Because in this particular case, he just told them God values the Gentiles as much as he does the Jews. And it's not, that these, it's not just that they don't like that. It's that they consider it blasphemy, punishable by death. This is a part of Paul's story for the rest of his life till he died. He considered Jesus worth suffering for. And this threat and all the other things that he faced, they just didn't create doubt in Paul about who God is. Paul was that confident in God's plan. Paul was that confident in his character. Paul was just that confident that Christ is better. Listen, to live for Christ is to trust God's faithfulness in all things. Chapters 23 through 28 are a summary of several (laughs) tough situations that Paul gets into. He faces ongoing prison chains, mob violence, Death plots. I mean, people travel far and wide to try and kill this guy. He's forgotten in prison for two years. He's shipwrecked. He's interrogated numerous times. He's stoned. He's set free by the emperor in Rome only to be imprisoned again. And most believe he was beheaded in prison the second time. And here's what gets me. The whole time he's doing this, the whole time he's going through all this stuff, and it's a lot, man, He's preaching Jesus and encouraging churches this whole time. He's in prison? Great. I got some time to do some writing that I want to do. That's the way he approaches it. And he evangelizes the prison. We saw um, a few chapters ago, he would sing songs to the Lord in the middle of prison and see prisoners come to faith. You're shipwrecked? Well, we can tell all the fellow passengers that are stuck with you about Jesus. On trial before governors and emperors? Awesome. A chance to tell them about Jesus. You never hear bitterness in Paul because the prison chains are weak defenses against the power of God in your heart. All this suffering, it didn't stop him. It spurred him. Romans 8. And I'm bringing up this letter to the Romans a lot because this is his destination that he's trying to head towards. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing not even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Yeah, you know what? I don't care. I'm going, hang on a second. I'm going to give you the rest of Romans 8. I know some of y'all heard it before. Where is this thing? Look, he keeps going. All right, verse 31 in Romans 8. Some of y'all have heard this before, but this is like he's talking about his prison chains. And he's talking about all of these sufferings that he's gone through. And in Romans 8, 31, he says, What do we say about these things? If God is for us, which he really believed, that's not just something that he wrote on like a hat or a beanie or something like that and he walked around with. If God is for us, when I'm in chains, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son. Paul always goes back. His motivation is always in the gospel. He did not even spare his own son but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring, this is a guy that's been accused, accused, accused. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? 
God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he's been raised and is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction? He's been through that. Distress has been through that. Persecution or famine or nakedness. I guess he'd been through that somewhere along the way too. Those that in there. Danger or sword. As it's written, because you were being put to death all day long, we're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are, not. he doesn't say survivors. He doesn't say we're doing okay. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced, deep down in my core, right? I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the Apostle Paul. And that's the hope you have. That's the hope you have. Paul chose to live for Christ. Those weak chains just, and they were weak, weren't worthy to be compared. He counted it an honor to suffer for the gospel because it meant suffering like Christ did. I want to read you. Um, I actually got another prayer this morning about 4 a.m. from one of these Afghan pastors, but um, this is one that one of those pastors sent to a friend of mine a couple of days ago. Here's what he said. He said, I pray to God for those who need to be present, those who are currently in war, hardship, suffering, destruction, pain, disease. He says, God, I pray that you show yourself to them and shine the light of faith in their hearts. Because <laughs> there is no light to the beauty and glory of your light. Your light is eternity, the mercy of all pains, and the hope of all disappointments. May God grant peace, grace to our prayers, and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Remove darkness and gloom from us and grant us eternal light. God, help my reaction to fear. Have faith in you and obedience to your word. Help me to always remember that everything is in your control so I can find peace in you. Amen. I hope you're here in this, brother, I don't know, you know, we don't know what's going to happen there, but hope you're hearing that, that Christ is better. There's no light compared to the beauty and glory of your light. Your light is eternity. Man, what if that was true for us? Each one of us in here, what if that was true? We woke up tomorrow and said, God, there's, there's just nothing better. So what would you have me do today? How can I make much of you? How can I live for Christ? Recognize your past and thank God that he saved you from it. If you've never repented of your sin, received that free gift of salvation and been baptized, oh, I implore you, take that next step. Look for your part in God's global mission and trust the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. He has always been faithful. He will always be faithful. Let me pray for you, church. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, your grace, your kindness towards us. Thank you that you are both sovereign and good. I pray that you would help us to respond in a manner worthy of Christ. In fact, church, before we sing, while you're still in that posture of prayer, I want to let you respond to the Lord. Christian, I want you to respond in thanksgiving 
Maybe you just need to remember again, man, God saved you. Thank him for what he saved you from. Thank you for the relationship with him that he saved you to. And maybe you need to open your hands, maybe even symbolically, physically, open your hands and say, God, all I have is yours. I want to live for Christ. Help me to live for Christ. You're worthy of it. And if you're not a Christian, maybe now is the the time. Maybe you grew up in church settings, whatever, but you have never turned from your sin and received the forgiveness that God offers you and what Christ did for you. And you say, God, I, I repent. It just means I turn. And I receive your grace. Thank you, God, for saving me. God, I want to... We just want to praise you. I pray that you would help us as both a collective church and individually help us to see what are you calling us to? What's our part in your global mission? And I pray, Father, that we would approach that with sincere hearts that believe you are faithful. You're faithful and you're good. Father, help us to follow you with joy, to live lives that are sent on your mission, and to do so with joy. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.